Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right, TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the... Freestyle Wednesday edition of the Morning Tailgate here on Raider Nation Radio. It's Vinny Bonsignor, Heidi Fang, Clay Baker, and you today. Uh, we got a lot to get into as we will talk about Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, a comparison that is uh, starting to really make a lot of relevance as we sit and look into this offseason as we're about 50 days away until the Hall of Fame game. We broadcast live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studios here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. You can hit us up on the text line, 69187. The Sam and Ash text line because you deserve what's right. Sam and Ash will join us at 945 today. And we will also talk with Eddie Borsilli at 8 o'clock on the Raiders post minicamp. But we also are going to have a great conversation with Sam Farmer, the longtime uh, Hall of Fame writer with the LA Times. He'll join us at 7.30 here on this Freestyle Wednesday. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good morning. Buenos dias. Uh, it, it, it's not Flag Day, but it feels like Flag Day. <laughs> it's just oh, one of those days. Man. Yeah, it did because like I didn't even know really about Flag Day. <laughs> All right, me yeah, neither. I, I've been discovering what it is. Uh, I just did a little bit. I remember it was on the calendar, and I just I didn't ever really look into the depths of Flag Day. I didn't either. And uh, is this a work related thing? Because <laughs> you had to cover politics be. yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and had to brush actually, up. I got probably the the best politics assignment of politics assignments saw the yesterday. Pinks, saw the pinks uh, do- uh, donuts. So check it out. You know Main Street, right? Yeah. It's been the the landing place of like all things Las Vegas True. since its inception. One Main Street I found out. I did a little history in Las Vegas yesterday. It was like one of the first big depots for trains and it was also like where they started to put up this plaza, so like a mm-hmm. gathering area as uh, and then it developed into a casino and then it became a two tower hotel on and on and on. Oh, and so yeah. it's been growing since like the birth of Las Vegas basically. May 5th, 1905 was yeah. when they the site of the plaza is where they stood and did the land auction looking towards Fremont Street and one by one the houses and all the leases started to get made and that's where the grid of Las Vegas began. Yeah. And that train station, that depot was the lifeblood of this town. And that was put there because, uh, from what I understand, when I moved here, I, I always like to figure out, okay, where am I living? What's the history of where <laughs> I'm living? And that was because they needed a deep, they needed a stop between Salt Lake City and Los Angeles mm-hmm. to refresh the fr- trains, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes. and, and that became um, a, basically an industry, and it drew people here to work, and then the next thing you know, everything else happened. But, uh, but yeah, uh, an interesting... Um, you know, uh, refresher on on why Las Vegas is even here. Well, Heidi was a little bummed out because she was like, "I got to go to minicamp," but they're like, "Yeah, that got canceled <laughs> for the final day," yeah. and they're like, "All right, reassignment." Yeah, to you're doing politics but, what's on better Tuesday. Than watching Oscar Goodman drink a giant martini <laughs> that's bigger than the size of my head at 11 a.m. Right, and and nothing's better about than how that. life good it, how good life is for him. So tell me what happened. All right, so you get reassigned <laughs> to the plaza. Uh, Oscar Goodman, a former mayor, he, yeah. his steakhouse Oscars is up there. Um, his wife. Carolyn Goodman is the current mayor, mm-hmm. but you got a chance to like be up close and personal with Oscar yeah. on a Tuesday morning. Yeah, just hanging out. I didn't uh, have any martini, but 
He said, Bombay Sapphire, get yourself enlisted in that. And I was like, that's too early. Get a couple olives and we're good. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I don't think he had any olives in that, either that or he had already eaten them. But so long story short, aside from the martini talk, they are going to revamp the entire look of Main Street. They're going to have a non-smoking casino inside of the plaza, as well as a smoking one. There's going to be separated. They're going to have like a, a social media zone inside the casino because normally you know you gamble if you're at a table no phone right so i guess they're gonna allow instagram and they're gonna have youtube there and then they're gonna have uh like some influencers in that room and they're gonna have a pink box this is the best part it's like springfield has come to life homer simpson pink donuts it's going to be the opening now for the hotel is you're gonna walk through a pink box donut Oh. Go in. It's a giant <laughs> pink really? sprinkled donut. And I was like, this is Homer Simpsonville. You're going to go in there, walk into the plaza, and that's a <laughs> just a <laughs> part of the redesign. And Oscars is going to be uh, completely redone. It'd be like a patio type experience. They're going to have it outside on this new, like, what is it called? The fancy words, veranda? Yeah, yeah, it is. A veranda? That's very fancy spelling yes. pronunciation. Uh, and, and it's going to be out there. And then. That's going to be part of the new look of Main Street because that's all going to be outside from like where the original train depot was. To They're going to build up on it. That's, that's amazing because, I mean, they haven't done a whole lot of renovation in that area. They could definitely no. use it. And, uh, that's what that, Oscar said. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's really good. Spot. Yeah. That, that's a good moment because they have to kind of compete with what's going on and around them. And, you know, and like, you know, not unlike how the Raiders have to continue to compete for what's around them, because we see now training camp has begun for other teams, and especially in the AFC West. And we'll, we'll touch on some stories around the, uh, the AFC West as they happened uh, over the over the last couple of days and throughout this week, because now it's it's great because the Raiders get the mini camp early. And now it's almost like they, they almost have like an advantage. <laughs> It makes you feel like they have a perceived advantage, right? Because they get a little extra work in before everyone else does. But it's something that is it, it bodes well because, as as you said yesterday, like if if the coaches seem to be happy with the progress so far and they give everyone an off day on uh, on Monday, it, it shows you that you know what maybe some of the changes that they had to make from you know drafting uh, you know Butler and Farrell Jr. for the defensive line, you know the offensive line, they got a couple guys in the draft. But also, you know, even in the quarterback room that they feel somewhat pleased with the progress of what's going on. And maybe that had to do with maybe getting a guy like Jarrett Stidham uh, to kind of push things along. I mean, what did Jarrett Stidham look like when he was starting to run some of the eleven on 7-on-7 seven seven stuff? And you were able to kind of see, all right, how does Stidham look in this offense? Just because you have to find a reliable backup. Yeah, uh, I, I liked what I saw from Jarrett Stidham uh, so many times during, during minicamp. Um, and OTAs, kind of looking down. Who threw that? Oh, that's that, that was Stidham. Oh, that was Stidham. First, he he jumps out at you because mm-hmm. he's a lot bigger than you think. Um, at least for people that like myself, who you know ha- don't have a whole lot of history with Jared Stidham, him playing at Auburn and then uh, over with the New England Patriots. So didn't have a visual of him. Uh, he he's definitely bigger than you think. He's got a great arm. Uh, showed a lot of touch uh, dur- during minicamp. So you know, I'm not saying that he's going to win the job over Nick Mullins, but uh, at least based on what um, what I saw from uh, dur- during minicamp, um, he's in a pretty decent position to uh, to move forward with this t- with this team. What stood out to me originally uh, with Jared Stidham is his mullet. He's got a moulet. I couldn't decide if it was more Kurt Russell or Van Damme. And, uh, what was that one? Heart not. Uh, you know the one. Nowhere to run. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. It took me a minute to come up with that. That's I was wondering if it was uh, <laughs> sudden death, <laughs> the hockey one. Because <laughs> everyone was had, had mullets in the 90s. Yeah, and I wondered if it would start a new hair trend amongst the Raiders because, you know, A.J. Cole, what Derek Carr's been doing with his hair, the full hawk is alive and well, folks. Uh, but going on to actual football stuff, it's like when you're watching him do just the fundamental drills, like the big, you know, medicine ball comes rolling out or whatever you call those big, I think those stretch balls sure. that people sit on them stuff like that that's coming out like so they're just throwing it at random you're moving your feet you know to try to uh scramble around it and his awareness in that space in the pocket to me was really impressive and it's just obviously it's a fundamental drill it's just something that you're doing to make sure that you're staying on top of your footwork and stuff like that but it, in his movements compared to the others you could tell that there was a little bit more fluidity a little bit more a spatial awareness of where he needs to be and how he needs to plant his feet in that situation and just watching those small things to me is what helps to be able to kind of build an idea of who could separate themselves from the role mm -hmm. uh, as far as being the true number two to DC because I think that he had a little bit more one of an upper hand with the offense and two he does seem to have the f a better grasp on the fundamentals than uh, you know the others. Fascinating. Um, the others not including Derek Carr though. Derek Carr looked really good. Uh, uh, I meant in terms of backup. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. Uh, just to make that distinction, <laughs> so you know how people will run with things. <laughs> so I meant in way, terms of backup. <laughs> yeah. Over Garbers and Mullins. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And by the way, when you mentioned uh, medicine balls and tackling dummies and all those type of things, I'll never forget my first uh, scouting combine in Indianapolis. You know how they do it? It's at a big convention center, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, they need the space and all that. There's meetings and everything like that. Uh, I'm walking, you know, uh, it's endless. We know that. You can really get lost. Oh, I totally. have been lost down there. <laughs> totally. I've had to have, there were security guys yeah. and, a, and a couple of groundskeepers yeah. that were, I found in an area. I have no idea how, I, I'm sorry to digress, but I had no, no idea no, how I got true. there. It's, they it, came and grabbed me and they're like, this way, man. Yes. It, it <laughs> no, it's really, it's that fast. It pay, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it paints the great picture for what I'm about ready to say is, is that, so I ended up in, in you know, uh, uh, passing this ballroom. You know, and and I look, it was a huge ballroom, and I and I look in there, and it's all these tackling dummies, and you know, all the all the equipment that you see during <laughs> practice, and it dawned on me, oh, this is where they come to market this stuff. Like they bring all the executives, mm -hmm. all the coaches, oh, and stuff. Oh yeah, we got the a, new sled exactly. for you. Exactly. So it's so so when you think of scouting combine. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, think beyond just the players and the coaches. You have people there that are selling mouthpieces and all the different various stuff that you see, just like any other convention. You know, like here in Las yeah. Vegas, wow, we cool. have a bunch of those. Yeah, so, so I was like, oh, so that's how they uh, figure out what the next <laughs> yeah. great. You know, and you have the the. Remember when they brought the um, the uh, the the you can monitor the tackling dummy oh, where yeah. uh -huh. it's moving around the field and guys yeah. are going in there to go because you can't tackle during training camp anymore. You don't. There's no tackling to the ground. So so now they have uh, remote control tackling dummies that are flying around the field, and guys are going to, to chase. What? It. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Some teams are like, "Nah, we don't like it." Now I, we were we, we used to sit there on the sidelines thinking, "What if the tackling dummy like turned on the players and they just started attacking the players?" Oh, like, like Terminator, yeah. Westworld. I'm not ruling that out uh, oh, eventually in, in the future. They so. get tired of getting pushed around and <laughs> yes, being left exactly. in the sun and the rain, and I it's their time. Up on Mayans. All right, Max and Crosby, it's between me and you now. Yeah. <laughs> well, what 
what? Could you you mean you can't just like have like a bag and just start going around and taking little like uh, a samples no, from everybody? How you fit that in there? You can take little things if you're gonna fit it in like a USB stick that describes the oh, okay. uh, the, the different things. A mini the, Rydell uh, helmet yeah. or something like that. <laughs> that your robot has to offer. <laughs> so Robbie the robot uh, tackling dummies. That's pretty cool. Um, that's that shows you kind of like an evolution of that industry, mm-hmm. right? Of where they're going. Oh, there's always somebody. There's always some cutting edge new technology that, uh, and half the time I'm sure the coaches are like, "What the hell is?" It? And then you know you got to talk them into it because they got to implement it into a practice and they got to figure out how to how to utilize it correctly right. and is this really going to work? You know, uh, but but you know the 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 uh, as they continue to decrease the physicality of practices, you have to figure out a way to simulate that. To some extent, and you know, you don't want live bodies tackling live bodies. Uh, so, so you have to figure out a way that could be because think about it; it's such a fundamental, um, you know, uh, deal with tackling, and you have to do it correctly, or you could get hurt, or oh, the yeah. other person could get hurt. So, the launch angles and the leading with your shoulder, all of that, and and you can't just have it be a standalone. Nobody's just standing there; like you don't <laughs> tackle something that's mm-hmm. not moving. You have to figure out a way to to make it a moving target, and so they, they've done it. I don't know if 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 it's if it's been real popular, I haven't seen it in how, a little while. How about we get memory foam, cut out two feet per individual, mm-hmm. and just let them run at each other full force and full wrap of memory foam, and see what happens. Yeah, like that hard stuff that's in your pillow and it comes yeah. back up after you put your head in it. <laughs> I think it might work a little better than metal to metal contact. You know, and it might work so well that people like the contact because like it those, doesn't hurt. <laughs> the Charmin commercials, it could be like that. You can squeeze you know, the just so that we could at least maybe see them tackle still. You will never <laughs> lose the sled, though. The sled is yeah. always out there. Right, because coaches like being on the sled. Or yeah. the sled yeah. just kind of provides like a certain stability to how this is the best way we can all block at once. Yeah. You know? Heidi can attest to this. You know you're you're covering the NFL when you go over by the sleds. And see oh, heck yeah. It's... it's it's like nothing you've ever seen in terms of <laughs> the power, the quickness, um, the all of that. Just like, you're like, holy cow! And then we've talked about this. Like all these guys are great. Let's face it. If you're yeah. on an NFL field at this point, you're just a really good football player. But then there's the ones that separate themselves from that pack, and you see a Max Crosby doing his thing, and uh, or Chandler Jones. <laughs> it's, or less. it's insane. To then watch it's Max another level of it, and you're like, yeah. you, you start realizing what separates, you know, the the elite from the elite max works at a level that oh, like unbelievable. i don't know how he continually puts out that same level of effort and just practice he's in just practice right now mm-hmm. every single time he's and it's not like he has if he has a bad day we sure aren't seeing it in practice i yeah uh, if, if you, even if he's having a bad day he <laughs> right. works through it to the point where um, his day, his bad day is better than everyone right. else's good day. And I can only imagine being an offensive lineman, you know, going against that every single day where, you know, there's, I'm not saying that guys want to take a, a rep off, but sometimes guys want to take a rep off, especially when it's hot <laughs> out there. Heck yeah. And you're like, why? You're going 100%. This is supposed to be a 70% drill. And I don't think Max knows any kind of difference between 70% and 90 or 80, 100. No, no, it's all hundred all the time. And like, sometimes I talk here and I feel like, well, I wonder if people think, Oh, she's sweating max or something like that. But it's not, it's like that. He is just like Vinny saying, separating himself 
and you can see that level of production out of him, and it's really it's mesmerizing to watch. You saw it last year, mm. like it's captivating. last year, it really jumped yeah. out at yeah. us. And this time of year too, where you're like, okay, Max is on another level, mm-hmm. and you could visually just see it, sense it, hear it. He was talking, um, he was being more vocal. He was like uh, pulling guys off to the side, younger players, to give him instructions. And it was just so noticeable. And what he did last year is no surprise if you were really paying attention at this point last year because you knew he took everything about himself and his game to another level. Yeah, Chandler Jones even spoke about how he, even after all these years, he's being motivated by Max. He loves how they keep pushing each other. Oh, he's already been pushing me. Uh, and it's 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 insane almost to this point where where I am in my career, you know, being 11 years in, going into my 11th season, uh, there's been there's been a few times in this camp now where I see Max you know running to the next drill and I'm kind of like I gotta go faster look at Max he's already over there you know um, and I, he's younger than me but like I said he's he's pushed me in that in that sense already so um, I'm excited to rush him like he was a huge reason why I came to Las Vegas too is one of the the main reasons why I came to play with him so. Uh, I, I get giddy even talking about him. So, well, he's probably out there waiting for me now. That's my boy, <laughs> Chandler Jones from boy. just a few, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but he's like just in a few uh, moments spent with Max on this team. I mean, it's not like these guys have been together for a while. He and Chandler, but Chandler's already like, I've been watching right. you. I've been watching right. you ascend. I want to be with somebody like you because I get the most out of my game. But at the same time. What Max is doing is so contagious that even a guy like Chandler Jones, who's on his way to Canton, Ohio, uh, is is like chasing something that he knows I can get there with Max, and that's a Super Bowl title. Yeah, and listening to that, listening to Chandler Jones talk about Max Crosby, the leader, because that's what you're doing at that point is you're leading, and you're and other people are starting to follow you. Obviously, Chandler Jones just literally said it. I'm yeah. trying to follow. I'm trying to do what he's doing. And just the other day, Kevin Durant, and I love Kevin Durant, but he was he had one of those, you know, open Q and A's on, on Twitter and they were talking about leadership. And he's like, Ah, the leadership comes from the coach and the, you know, I'm just one of the guys and da 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 da. And people like, yeah, people want to, you know, uh, the, the media wants to always. And he was he was saying it critically because he was like, I see how it's something along the lines of, I see how it works. The media picks who they say is leader and all that type of stuff. And I think he's just missing the point. Mm-hmm. I think I think leadership isn't just about being vocal or, you know, standing up in the locker room and, and making a big proclamation or declaration or, or anything like that. It's it's, <laughs> it's your work habits. If you're the and every coach will tell you if 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 your best player is your hardest worker, then the coach's job in that regard is a heavy load has been lifted off the coach's shoulders because all any other player is going to do is look at the best player and say, if he's pushing himself like that, I've got to push myself like that. Uh, and if the if the best player, and this happens too, isn't the hardest worker, guess what's going to happen? Every other player behind that player is probably going to you know uh, follow that player's lead. So there is true leadership. And I, to me, Kevin Durant is just kind of missing the point on that. And Chandler Jones following Max Crosby is actual proof that it really does exist. And there's different layers of leadership. I think even, um, you know, Darren Waller kind of spoke about it um, w- last week when he was just explaining that, you know, there's there's ways of leading on the field, but there's also ways of like uh, of being vocal at the right time. And you don't necessarily have to be the guy in front to do that. Darren Waller last week. Yeah, I feel like I'm uh, finding my role as a leader. You know, um, I feel like uh, I don't know. There's a story that I was told about a. Uh, it's like wolves, and it's like how a wolf can like lead from the back. You don't always have to be in the front, like giving the speech and being like Ray Lewis to be a leader, you know, because I'm more quiet than that. I'm a little more reserved. So it's like 
I can see somebody that may be struggling with something in the offense or may have had a bad play and they may hang their head, but just like, you know, trying to give them an encouraging word or be the first one to give them a high five when they make a good play, you know, just little things like that and keeping them even keeled when, because, you know, it's a lot of pressure on us. It's a lot of things that can make us high or make us low, but just try to stay in the middle. Wolves can lead from behind. Yeah. And, and Heidi, uh, I think you'd agree with this. Football is different because you have positional groups. You have like little packs of, <laughs> of, of groups on a team. It's not like basketball. Yeah, you have your guards and forwards, but it's 10 guys, 12, or what is it, 12, 13 guys. In football, you literally separate for so much of the day with your crew, the mm-hmm. linebackers and, you know, uh, are, are over here meeting in this room mm-hmm. and then the safeties and the cornerbacks and so on and so forth. Till the, you know, as the day goes on, you kind of all start coming together. Uh, and the same thing happens in practice. So in those leaders, in those, in those positional groups, those small confined positional groups, you would imagine that leaders are important just from that positional group. Like he would be the leader, Darren Waller, other tight ends. Right. And you can definitely see that as well. Yeah. It's like a different level of production, at least last year when Darren wasn't there. And I say last year just because we only really got two glimpses of positional groupings this uh, past minicamp and OTA session. So when I, I look at what we've seen out of Darren as well, he hits his stride different. He hits off the – like the imaginary blocks different the way that he pushes off when he's trying to run out and route. And those are the little things like how he moves his hips in that moment to be able to angle himself off that you notice uh, the snap, the, I, the quick reaction to. And that's the things that I think help separate somebody like him from the pack of the other tight ends. And like you said, yeah, I, you mean they're all working on their own individual groupings. There's, um, Definitely going to be a leader within each of those that is going to be that person. And that's great because everybody in those different groupings needs to have somebody that helps them elevate their game. So if Chandler, for instance, is there now and Max is learning new things from him and they're putting that all together and lightning comes out of the bottle, I'll be really excited to see how that works because as much as we talk about Derek Carr and this offense and everything else that has been great about that. The key to me is not the offense. It's the defense. If this defense can manage to hold the Chargers, the Chiefs, the high-powered offenses that they're going to face in the NFL, teams that can put up 30-plus points on you without blinking an eye, if that defense can hold tight enough to put that into a a different ratio, bring it down, keep them under 30 points in a game. That's what's going to help them win. Yeah. Uh, offensively, they, they got to get better in the reds. It's, it's for the, for oh, the red zone. Offensively, is disaster, yeah, so. they have to, there's, there's, it's a there's, disaster. there's areas <laughs> where, gonna, they, sugarcoat it. where they have to be better. And then also you mentioned injuries as well. Uh, and we're going to get into this with Derek Carr uh, in, in a little bit. Why his game may have you know been up and down last year? Well, there were injuries, and obviously the Henry Rugg situation. And you know when you, when we talk about as as you as as uh, as, as Clay alluded to the the Matthew Stafford uh, comparison, having better players around you generally is going to help the quarterback. Oh, it is. In fact, we'll go deeper into that uh, throughout the show, and we'll take a timeout. And as and as Heidi said, you know one thing about the defense is that you got a slew of teams on this schedule that can put. 30 points upon you without even blinking. One of them is the Los Angeles Rams. 
the Super Bowl champions. They face the Raiders on December 8th in a pivotal game in the most pivotal time of the year. We'll talk to Sam Farmer from the LA Times. He joins us next here on Raider Nation Radio. Oh, it's Raider Nation on that Freestyle Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us. Vinny, Heidi, Clay, and you here on Raider Nation Radio. And joining us now is the Hall of Fame NFL writer with the LA Times. It's Sam Farmer. He's joining us here on this beautiful and perfect Wednesday. Follow him on Twitter at LA Times Farmer. Sam, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. And first, I've got to ask you look, uh, you know, Philip Baker Hall was easily one of the most uh, recognizable character actors on both TV and in movies. And our condolences for you uh, for your loss of a great friend and your neighbor. But what is something that you would like the world to know about Philip Baker Hall as we're starting to really enjoy his great work after all these great years? Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, uh, yeah, that was. It's been a sad week, but uh, uh, I guess just knowing who Philip Baker Hall is, that was a funny thing. Uh, you know, I would mention him from time to time, and people wouldn't know who he was, and then uh, they certainly wouldn't recognize the name, and I'd show a picture of him and say, oh, that guy, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> He's in every movie. And the thing about Philip was, uh, you know, his voice. His voice was so distinctive. We'd be out someplace, and somebody would hear him, hear his voice and instantly recognize it. It's, it's uh, a little like Morgan Freeman. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, not that their voices are the same, but just that voice you instantly recognize. But, I mean, what a great guy. He was so down to earth, such a normal guy, and yet, um, you know, such a phenomenal talent. I mean, think about Heart Eight and, and uh, all those uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies and yes. You know, just just a tremendous guy, and everybody remembers him as Bookman on on uh, Lieutenant Bookman on uh, Seinfeld, and uh, you know, just <laughs> great comedic actor, great and curb your enthusiasm. Yep. Uh, uh, just a wonderful guy. I always like Midnight Run because it's a fast-paced movie, but Philip's uh, scenes in that are great because he actually kind of gets everything going from working with the mob. He's kind of like the great mob fixer before anyone knew what that term really meant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he's great in Boogie Nights, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as his, as the years went on, it became, he had emphysema, so it became harder and harder for him to breathe, and, and he eventually transitioned to a, uh, full-time oxygen that he was on um, when he was on Modern Family. It's funny because he was on Modern Family and he wore that that uh, those oxygen tubes. Uh, he didn't have oxygen then, so that was a, wow. you know art imitating life. But uh, um, Holly, his wife, it, a lot of the stuff that he is working on Messiah, uh, which was a Netflix show. Um, was filmed in New Mexico, and um, the altitude was an issue there because of his breathing. He didn't want to have the oxygen tubes mm. if, he, uh, if he could do without them. And so Holly would take him up to the top of Mount Wilson, which is near us here, and he'd walk around for as long as he could. It was maybe a couple minutes without the oxygen uh, just to practice, you know, at altitude, at some degree of altitude, whatever altitude we can get out here. Um and uh, practice acting, but God, I mean, and I'll just ask about what he does. He was an incredible builder. He was, uh, you know, he could make, uh, I know we're going on and on here. No, this is good. It's fine. He could, could, um, you know, he made desks and dressers and beds with his hands. He built a harpsichord. 
who built a guitar. He was uh, incredible uh, audiophile. So he anything if you talked about speakers, tubes, and tubeless and hi-fi and everything like that, he was really into that. And I got to think about that as his amazing ability to hear. He was a listener. He was a, he could imitate things. He could uh, uh, so he wouldn't just tell stories. He would listen to stories and and uh, and hear you and, and just that great kind of friend who um, we would just hang out and I would love to hear the old you know his acting stories which started on stage but then you know he was in good times he was in every basically every show that that uh, and had these great memories and right up to the end was super lucid so in his last week of life he was reading. A lot of Shakespeare, and he, he, uh, big wow. sports fan too. Loved, loved Larry Bird. He loved the Dodgers. He loved uh, uh, Rafa Nadal. I mean, that was his big, his idol. So when Rafa won the, he was in the hospital last week or a couple of weeks ago, and, and when Rafa won the French, that was a like a huge, um, uh, you know, he just uh, just a great moment for him, for Philip. Um, so anyway, yeah, just a, a lovely guy, great friend, and, and I'll certainly miss him. Oh, thank you. That's fascinating. We're talking to Sam uh, uh, Farmer from the LA Times, a great NFL writer. And we're going to get to to talk about the, the NFL in just a second. But Sam, if you can explain to the listeners your connection, how your how your path uh, crossed uh, with uh, with the late great uh, Philip Baker Hall. Yeah. So uh, so we live in this little neighborhood of Glendale, very modest uh, homes. Uh, but tidy little homes and, and uh, Vinny, you know it, and the, the Montrose. And in fact, our, our main street in Montrose, I always say, if you remember where um, Will Ferrell streaks yep. down the street in old school, that's our main street. Yeah. Okay. Hasn't your house was... been, hasn't, Sam, hasn't your house been used uh, to, for filming? You know, um, it's funny. Somebody came to our house and said, hey, this is, you know, we want to, do, film a CSI episode here, and um, I said, "Great!" And they were looking. Uh, location scout was looking around. He said, "You know, this is going to be a doctor's house, and it's great because he gets murdered in your swimming pool." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they filmed uh, uh, Wedding Singer in this uh, this neighborhood, old school, a um, uh, lot of. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting all the movies uh, that were filmed here, but a uh, ton, of, ton of movies filmed in this because this little slice of L.A. Uh, is is kind of like middle America. I mean, it looks like middle America, yeah. uh, which is which is unusual. And if any, I know you know oh, yeah. L.A. went on. And um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, so anyway, so, so Philip, uh, we have a little elementary school down the street, and Philip... Um, Holly is 30 years younger. His wife is 30 years younger than Philip. Uh, they met when he was uh, doing Secret Honor on stage in the early 80s. And Holly was a waitress who worked across the street. And they start they started dating. And they have kids who are my kids' age, uh, so like generation or a couple generations younger than Philip. And so we would go to um, our kids or schoolmates at the little elementary school. And so Philip and I 
two guys, who, you know, a sports writer and an actor, so we didn't have nine to five jobs. So um, we would meet or we initially met dropping off the kids, oh, and cool. then we did the walk back to our houses, which wasn't far. It's 20, 15 minutes or whatever up the hill. And um, we would, I was fascinated. The first time I saw him, I was like, I don't know, you know, I, I know that guy. I just don't know where I know him from. And then the next day I was like, wait, he was in Magnolia. He was the game show host in Magnolia. <laughs> and, then, and then I looked him up and then I was like, wow, oh my gosh, he's been in every movie ever made. And, and so um, we struck up a friendship uh, where we would walk, I'd often walk him back to his house or we'd go in and sit at the kitchen table and I'd ask him all about what, you know, what was this audition like? What was this, this movie like? What was John C. Riley? What was it like working with him? And, and, uh, or all this, you know, range of actors and actresses. And, um, and then those walks became slower and slower because he was, he would need to stop midway up the, up this gradual hill and uh, and then eventually he was sort of tethered to these oxygen tubes at his house. So, uh, but I would bring friends by. I'd be like, you know, you're going to be blown away. I'm just going to introduce you. See <laughs> the eyes pop open. You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about uh, um, these actors that you might not immediately recognize their name, but you see their face. Well, my brother was in New York, and he was uh, he was with a friend. And um, they're walking along Fifth Avenue, and my brother sees a guy that he went to high school with or college with, can't, but can't quite place him. He's like, I know, I know that guy. I know I went, I just can't remember his name. And finally, this guy was getting into a town car. And finally, my brother remembers his name, and it's Andy. And he says, Andy, Andy, it's Tom. Andy starts waving. The guy looks over and kind of looks a little scared. And he gets into the car. <laughs> and my brother says, "Oh my God, he he, he recognized the name, and he's clearly Andy." And the guy goes, and his buddy goes, "Yeah, that was Ed Helms." Oh wow! Oh, no, Andy, Andy from the office. Oh no! <laughs> yes. So I really felt like a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, you know, I mean, people say, aren't you my dry cleaner? <laughs> you know, and, oh, man. Yeah, anyway, so we're way off track, but that was that was All fun. good, all good. It's okay, yeah. because in the office, I heard that they would spend a lot of time on the computers, the principals who had actual computers, playing fantasy football. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Helms was part of that, but... I know if they were. I've, I've read a book on the office and and the, all that background stuff. They were emailing each other. And they were laughing about stuff. <laughs> yeah. and there was very mundane things going on. I remember when the uh, Steve Lopez, great writer for the L.A. Times, yeah. uh, columnist, wrote uh, the Soloist, the movie, the Soloist, and and uh, they when they were shooting the movie, um, the the crew came into our newsroom and. Um, you know, had a lot of, kind of like in All the President's Men, they moved all that trash, that office trash, across country to recreate the Washington Post office. Wow, yes. So they wanted to keep the look of a newsroom, and um, there were extras working and everything, people running around, and finally one of the, uh, I guess it was the director, comes over to 
sitting in a cubicle and says, hey, you're going to have to act like you're working or something. <laughs> or, or doing anything. The guy, the guy looks up and says, I actually work here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, man, what a show. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if any of them were fans of any AFC West teams. <laughs> yeah, speaking speaking of which, speaking of. Sam, um, a lot has uh, happened with the AFC West without question um, over this offseason between the Raiders and the Chargers and the Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson, Terry Kill uh, leaving uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. What do you make of, of, of this division? Yeah, I mean, it, when you put it that way, Vinny, I, I think, uh, you know, not only has this been the most active division this offseason, I can't remember any division at any time having so many interchangeable parts. Uh, you know, even, you know, you know, I mean, what the Chargers have done and, um, you know, certainly the Raiders and the Stars and the, and the Chiefs trading Tyreek Hill and, uh, you know, Chiefs who won, what, six division titles in a row and, and they seem very vulnerable now. Um, uh, it's really going to be exciting, and then the Broncos are becoming relevant. And I was uh, talking to uh, George Payton uh, about you know about the Russell Wilson deal, and, and that you know a lot of people look at that and say that increased the value of the of the Broncos franchise point. Uh, incredibly yeah. uh, just by adding Re- Russell Wilson, becoming more valuable and and more relevant, and and now you know they just sold for twice of what the Panthers sold for a few years ago, so. Um, it's it's a super exciting division, you know. I don't know if if say Denver's going to get up to speed as quickly uh, as some people might hope. Um, even though I think personnel wise they they've got the quarterback now, and, and I, I think they got a lot of young talent. I think the Raiders are are again, you know, having made the playoffs. I think they're right there in the mix, and you know, adding Chandler Jones. I mean. It, and Rocky Sin, I think, is uh, a big addition. Obviously, Devontae Adams and, and reuniting Devontae Adams and, and uh, Derek Carr from college days, I think, um, is going to be great for that. But the whole philosophical change of the Raiders that we're seeing now, um, you know, new coach, new GM, and a coach who uh, comes from such a structured background, um, uh, with such strong philosophies, I think that's going to be uh, really good for that organization. And, and you know, the Chargers are always, you know, they're sort of the the June Super Bowl champion. Uh, you know, and then they can't keep their, their guys healthy, and they always have a such a promising um, promising roster, but uh, haven't been able to make good on that. Um, you know, they sort of have had warning track power for so long. Um, you wonder when they're going to break through. They, they have the quarterback to do it. He's bigger, stronger now. Weighs two forty five, um, and they've got a great, you know, Cole Mack and and Joey Bosa. They've got a great pass rushing duo. But I but I look to the Raiders and say, you know, Chandler, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. I mean, it's just. All the way across the board, such an interesting division. But you think about the relevance. Uh, if we go back to the Chargers for a second, you think about how the league scheduled this year and how that reflects what the league thinks the Chargers could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in putting him in that first, very first Amazon Prime game. Um, a few years ago, the Chargers and Rams played, and it was a nothing, a one o'clock game that shown to maybe 10% of the country. Now, it's the last Sunday night, fo- last scheduled Sunday night football game of the year. Um, the, the league has high, high hopes for the Chargers, and, um, you know, it's up to the Chargers to and not disappoint there. I'm speaking with uh, Sam Farmer from the Los Angeles Times. Follow him on Twitter at LA Times Farmer. Well, it's because you have for the Chargers a guy like Justin Herbert who kind of supersedes anybody who's actually coaching him. I mean, uh, Brandon Staley, Lombardi. It's one thing, but you know you can you don't really see this kind of talent come around very often. And now, perhaps with another year of continuity and familiarity with the receivers, that this could be like one of those turning points where we start to see you know Justin Herbert become not just a good young quarterback, but somebody who's now put into an elite status. Yeah, and and you know uh, Herbert when he came out of college, he had been in four different systems at Oregon, and, and that is um, typically sort of an indictment, a bad thing. You know, you think, guys, the guy cycles through all those systems. You look at Alex Smith and and his early years in the NFL, and couldn't get a footing. But if you can get a footing, it's a complete feather in your cap. And so the fact that he was able to do what he did in college with all those systems and then roll right out in, in as a rookie. When I kind of thought Justin Herbert was in that sort of uh, dinosaur mode, you know, the, the old, I didn't know what to expect, uh, but the, the sort of drop back, uh, Drew Bledsoe type quarterback, big, he's so tall, you know, six, six and, and, uh, uh, and yet he comes in at the spur of the moment. On, on the spur of the moment, you know, starts. Uh, they lose their starter with a punctured lung, and, and he comes right in and and has that Josh Allen kind of ability to run and run over people. In addition to uh, just pinpoint accuracy with his passes and and a cool head uh, guy. Um, you know, but you just look at the quarterbacks across the board in the AFC West. I mean, uh, Derek Carr is so underrated, and now he's got those receivers. Uh, you know, uh, who are the who are the receivers that the Raiders got this offseason? I mean, um, Devontae Adams, it, Demarcus uh, Robinson, um, Keelan Cole, Keelan Cole, yeah. Mac Collins. Yeah. They got a guy by the name of Hunter Renfro. Yeah. <laughs> Renfro. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so it's really sets up for them. And maybe they go, you know, more running back by committee, kind of like they did in New England. Um, you know, uh, maybe McDaniels goes that way. Right, right. Sam, you know, uh, real quick, when you when you bring up Derek Carr right there, um, Last year at this, or, or last uh, during the during the uh, during training camp last year, we were in L.A. Uh, obviously, the Raiders practice against the Rams. I remember driving around, uh, listening to ESPN radio, and they were talking about Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr, and looking at their numbers up to that point, and they were uncanny how close those numbers really were. And on ESPN radio in L.A., they were talking about, "Hey, did the Rams just trade for Derek Carr?" And they were kind of saying it 
in a negative way. Um, but as it turns out, you know, obviously Matthew Stafford leads the Rams or, or leads the Lions, goes to the Rams, they win a Super Bowl, and it all worked out. So I ask you this question. When you look at the numbers and look at the situations that Matthew was in in Detroit, what uh, Derek has dealt with here uh, with the Raiders, and now where the Raiders are, which is a little bit like where the Rams were last year with all those weapons, can we see somewhat of a, uh, of, of a Matthew Stafford-like push from Derek Carr now that he's surrounded by really good talent? Yeah, I, I, w- I would think so. Uh, you know, it meant so much to Matthew Stafford, obviously, and, and we're so quick to put quarterbacks off in a box and and uh, just sort of ca- categorize them as somebody you can't win. I mean, Matthew Stafford had never won a playoff game uh, before he came to L.A. Um, you know, we thought, oh, the big, the big deal with Matthew Stafford is he's finally got a running game. Well, the Rams lose. They're running back uh, before the start of training camp, and they have to sort of cobble together a running game. And yet, still, Matthew, even during the season, I mean, Matthew Stafford had some, uh, you know, three games with with pick sixes, and and everything looks like it's falling apart. But you know, the rest of the team lifts them up. They make some dramatic moves. You know, with uh, getting Von Miller in the middle of the season and OBJ and. Um, and the, and the defense picks it up. So uh, it's not all about um, the quarterback. It's the team around him picking him up and sort of ham and egging it. And uh, when, you know, winning different, finding different ways to win, we've heard that so much. And, and Derek Carr is um, uh, one of those guys that people put in a box and dismiss. And he is constantly surprising people. I mean, he shouldn't be this far into his career and still be surprising people that he's a really good quarterback, but he is. And that's really our fault on the outside uh, more than it is his. Uh, I think he's a, uh, certainly a quarterback who's won the Super Bowl. Sam, it was absolutely awesome having you on. Thank you again for making time for us today, uh, and especially sharing those stories about Philip Baker Hall. That was really uh, enriching, and I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Th- Sam, thank you again for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, guys, and I, I really appreciate you uh, uh, asking me about Philip. Oh, it was awesome. So, thank well, you, Sam. Thank you again. Have uh, a great week. Sam Farmer with LA Times at LA Times Farmer, and um, <laughs> that's it, it's funny because the the stuff he was talking about. Well, Matthew Stafford always had like something like kind of like sitting around like he's great, but uh, he doesn't have this and he doesn't have that. <laughs> But then when you start wiping all that away, you realize that that's also what the things people have been saying in criticisms about Derek Carr. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so much of life is about circumstance. Um, you know, uh, when we get back, I don't know how long we ha- we have here, but uh, you know, Lamar Odom explained it to me succinctly about what circumstance is all about, whether it's life or basketball. And he brought it, he, he, he explained it so succinctly that I've looked at things completely differently ever since. It's fascinating stuff. Let's do this on the other side. We'll also have a chance to talk to Eddie Borsilli from Sirius XM. He will join us at 8 o'clock, top of the hour. Quick break after this. Hey, guys. It's your boy, Vinny B. from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news. All TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right. TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas.